Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. So we're really excited today to welcome a new friend and colleague to us, George Sachs. George, we're so thrilled to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. I'm very uh, excited to be here. So, so George comes with lots of qualifications and credentials. He's a child psychologist. Um, he specializes in the treatment of ADHD and autism spectrum disorders in children, teen, and, and adults. He's got lots of gestalt training and all kinds of other expertise. And, and he's here with us because we met him because he's working and collaborating with a group of other professionals to create a new uh, mobile app for people with ADHD to really help them use their full potential by using the principles of CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, which is a really effective modality for working with people with ADD, very, very similar in our experience to the work we do as coaches. Um, And so we're really excited. We've had a great time beginning to collaborate with them and really participating by adding some content to this new app they're creating. So George, welcome. We're thrilled to have you. And let's step into a, a new conversation. Well, George, Absolutely. Just, yeah, start by telling us a little bit about what you do with families of complex kids and how you came to start doing this work. Well, um, I was a complex kid, so let's start there, I think. And but you know, more of the spacey, inattentive type of ADHD. So I went under the radar in school and made grades that were good enough but fortunately my parents were not you know this was in the 80s 70s and 80s where they you know the report card came out once a year maybe twice a year and i never ever remember any lectures or discussions about grades i think they were like c's and b's so i really appreciate looking back on that because i don't think i could have done better and i say that in parentheses i don't think i wanted to do better yeah, my and, son and, would say the same thing. <laughs> but I was excelling in all sorts of other things, like just creative projects and sports and making friends. And just I had a really nice childhood and have a great relationship with my parents in their 80s because I think of this time in my life where I and the other challenge I had was um, a sister who was an older sister who was very bright naturally and had good executive functioning and went on to University of Chicago and and a younger brother who was very bright with great, excellent executive functioning and went on to Brown University. So in theory, I could have, you know, I, of course, internalized my own, like, am I smart enough? I'm not, you know, what about me, you know, but that's not really one of my issues. And I really have to thank my parents for that because they allowed me to be, you know, to do what I was going to do naturally, 
and to support those different things and to never really emphasize like grades for me. And they didn't emphasize grades from, you know, interestingly, they never emphasized grades for my sister and brother. That was all innate, like desire for them and interests. And uh, I think that's just so important. You could call it free range parenting, but I just think that does a disservice to them, you know, because they probably thought about this, like this child does not really show a lot of interest in school and he's getting C's and B's. So, but you know what? He's happy and, and we're happy. So let's just Did let you it ever be. ask them? Um, I haven't. I, I'm thinking out loud now that I, I should ask them, but <laughs> it, I am grateful for that because I don't have any feeling like I'm not as smart as, you know, I just, I, I have different talents than they do. Well, and, and clearly was, yeah. you, you have those talents, though, because you circled around and went back and got a PhD and you, you have a doctor in front of your name now. So something shifted for you. Well, age. So, yeah. So <laughs> then I, I went to high school and college and didn't was not a stellar student, at, you know, and then it took me 10 years to really um, get back to finding my, you know, my passion. And that was graduate school. But I was 32. And at that point. I think there was a lot of motivation and fear, you know, like this is kind of the thing, you know, people say, well, you know, fear is not a great motivator, but I I think it is a good motivator in some cases when I had tried a lot of other things and then realized like whatever I was trying in my 20s wasn't really working. It wasn't suited for me, but going back to school, I did well because I wanted to do well. Mm. And so to answer the original question, I love working with kids and in the process of becoming of studying child psychology you have to focus on adhd because it's such a big issue and i was doing some of the self-reports or parent reports on kids and realizing like this was me this was exactly you know me (laughs) and so it wasn't until i was in my 30s that i realized i had adhd and it was always under reported but again i never feel like i wish i had been diagnosed because you know what i just don't know what could have been different Mm -hmm. you know and i think this is an interesting topic it's like sometimes i did learn this in in uh, graduate school i remember a class that even psychotherapy can have negative consequences like just you know commuting to the therapist or the cost of the therapist or feeling negative feelings but i think we have to acknowledge that same thing with children when we, you know, diagnose them and then treat them. You know, it's not it can have negative consequences in some ways. So it's important to think about both the positive and negative and weighing all these, because I think some parents rush into like, I need this, this, this and this and this to, to help him because they have ADHD. But I, you know, parents say, well, he needs therapy, you know, and I say, well, why? Why does he need therapy? Does he have emotional or um, I say he, but she, he or she have emotional issues because then they would need therapy. Are they feeling bullied or isolated or ostracized or are they angry? No, they just have a hard time focusing. Okay, well then why don't you spend the money on parenting classes instead of individual therapy classes? I always recommend parent coaching or parent training because I say this child, need you need like a master's degree in parenting and uh, that's where the efforts needs to go in as opposed to individual individual cbt training for a child an eight-year-old well can't you help him focus well why don't we start with the asking you to meditate 
If you can meditate every day for 20 minutes, then we'll expect, we'll have expectations that your child will be able to focus better. Well, so, um, um, music's in my ears, I got to yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead, <laughs> well, so what I want to take us back to, because it sounds like your experience as a kid, where your parents just kind of let you be who you are on some level, and, yeah, and you kind of yeah. evolve in a way, is really key to how you are focused on helping families. How does that actually translate into a message for parents of complex kids? Well, uh, a lot of it is, as you know, is anxiety, you know, not with the child, but with the parent. And what does this mean? Oh, my God, my child has ADHD. Oh, my God, what do we need? I've I've just read this book. Their whole life is ruined. You know, so a lot of it is managing the anxiety that the child's going to be fine uh, if you don't make it worse. You know, like if you just allow the child because generally the child has other interests you know and 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 that's not necessarily just video games it could be like i'm working with this child now who's uh 15 and the parents are like he's got to get a's but meanwhile he's you know like trading cryptocurrencies and what was the other thing he was doing and all sorts of cool stuff that you know they somebody would think well this is a distraction but what i tell the parent is like look you know is are they going to use biology in 20 in 10 years probably not but all these things that they are passionate about will will translate into um will definitely translate into some successful career so this child may be very successful on wall street or doing something like that so i think if we allow the child to pursue that with adhd to pursue their passions and i say this you know at the expense of their grades, then um, I think the child will actually be more successful. I couldn't agree with you more. That was, there's so many different directions. I feel like I could go in this conversation with you. And the one that's coming up, which I kind of don't want to go through, but I think I need to, is is one of the number one things we hear from parents right now is, yeah, but the only thing they care about is the screen is the technology. And, you know, having this conversation of, well, maybe that is their future career in some way is not consoling to them, I I find. So what about that, about the kids who really are hyper-focused on a screen to the extent of the rest of their life? Okay. Well, you know, when I, I grew up with, we, at the very beginning of video games, like Pong, I I remember Pong and Space Invaders, and I never, we never had a console or anything like that. But when I started in my early 40s when i started really doing private practice with kids and teens and that's what they were talking about i went out and bought myself you know because i remember one child was into pokemon and he was talking about pokemon and i read something online about pokemon and he looked at me this child had asperger i mean uh, autism so he looked at me and he goes you don't know anything about pokemon and so he caught me And then I said, you know what? He's absolutely right. I'm going to go learn as much as I can by playing these video games. So I bought a, uh, what was it back then? It was, I played Pokemon. I forget the device it was. It was a Game Boy, probably a Game Boy. It was was the next evolution of that. I forget between that and the Switch, which I bought. And I bought the P of the PlayStation. And I started actually liking a lot of these games so I could communicate with the, particularly the boys, although some girls play. But one thing that's important to know about the video games is that they are really a community and a social device, because nowadays you can really chat with other people, friends, and, you know, a group of friends will say, let's get on this together. 
And for boys, I think it's important to be doing something while they're connecting. I think girls are a little bit different, but I think because of the biology of the male, I mean, you know, if they're just sitting talking, it's uncomfortable. So I say to the parent, look, these games, you need limits, you know? So I, I, I do support limits, and that might be no video games on the weekdays, or, you know, maybe on Friday they can start. So I, I think limits is very important. You can't just let your kid do whatever they want with the video games because they're built to be addictive, you know, with right. the reward systems and the leveling up. I mean, it's very hard to stop yourself, particularly if you're shy and you're not going out into the world. So the video game games can be attractive. So I think it is the parental role to set limits on the screen time, but that doesn't mean, you know, one hour a month. You know, I think like <laughs> they can play three, three hours or two hours on the weekend on Saturday and another two hours on Sunday. And, you know, well, yeah. I'm guessing that there's probably not a, a rule of thumb for every family. But what you're what you're saying is that the parents need to play a role in terms of creating a boundary. Yeah. And I'm going to take you back to kind of the, this concept of letting kids be who they are. And part of that is playing and part of that is connecting with their friends and all of those other things. And so I want to take you back to your comment about pursuing their passions. And I, and I think parents are curious, how do I inspire that in my kids? My kids, especially, you know, it's like my kid just wants to do video games, but or with an ADD kid, yeah, I they try this for three weeks and then that for three weeks and then that for a week. And, you know, so they don't, there's oftentimes it takes them a long time to find something that they're really passionate about as well. Well, I think this is the parental role to introduce, you know, and you can use the video games as a way to say, okay, you can play two hours on Saturday, but, you know, you need some exercise. So mm -hmm. here are the choices. Tennis, you know, some kids with ADHD prefer more individual sports like tennis or karate. Judo, yeah, karate, judo. I actually recommend judo over karate. This is a sidebar, but judo, if you can find one in your neighborhood, you actually grab the, the other child. The two children grab each other and try to move each other. And, and that's going to be a little bit more satisfying for a child with ADHD than just doing forms, which is what they do in karate or taekwondo. Um, some Taekwondo and karate places, they fight each other, but uh, judo has I, no punching. Just so you know, I grew up doing judo and my dad was a black belt in judo. So you oh, have okay. just validated <laughs> his whole parenting oh my experience. Gosh. Thank you. <laughs> but I do think it's important to find activities. And if the child moves from one thing to another thing, I say to myself, okay, that's fine, you know, but are they doing that because of the fear of uh, failure? you know, or like they can't do it. And this is the value of like martial arts or team sports or things, because with martial arts, you have to stick with it to get to the next level. So there is motivation, you know, something like a musical instrument. It's hard to really like know where you're, when do I get better? You know? So I think finding things where there's some benchmark of success so they can immediately, when you join a um, judo or martial art, you get the white belt or the yellow belt. And that's an immediate sign of success for a child, you know, and then they can get the next belt. So some, I think those kind of activities where there's signs of success that the child can feel, particularly if a child doesn't have confidence, are really important. But I do think a parent needs to expose kids to different things. And they don't have to find, you know, that's another thing, parents. And I understand that there's 
pressure. Parents feel tremendous pressure from peers and meet social media. Like my kid has to be like a master or something so they can get into college, particularly about college. But there's a lot of pressure to, that a child like master something, you know, and never give up. But I don't remember anything like that of my childhood. I don't know. It seems to be a new phenomenon. Like you have to have 10,000 hours of piano or something like that. I mean, I did Little League and all the other kids in the neighborhood did Little League. And then we, you know what I mean? I don't yeah, remember. I totally this. know what you mean. I'm just laughing because I've gone through the, the experience as a kid and then as a, as a parent to a kid. And, you know, my deal was if you make a commitment to do it for this term, then you got to complete your commitment. But if you don't want to stick with it after that, you don't have to, you know. And so there was always this negotiation with, you know, three kids with different interests. But but I hear what you're saying. Mastery was never really high on my list. I just wanted them to, like, you know, stick Follow with through. something. You know? yeah. Well, the, but I, I'm not just, in New York City, you know, so it's a different different I, environment. I don't know if, if the Boy Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts or, or Girl Scouts or whatever is still popular, but that's another thing. Like you get the badges and then you want to get the next badge. So there's motivation to continue after one semester. So let's shift to, I mean, because I love the way that you're, you're looking at this and this notion of let's let kids have a childhood. <laughs> let, let them be kids. Yeah. So what do you think? it's important for parents to understand better about their kids. What is it parents are missing? That's a very good question. I think a couple things, not in any order. I think one of the things, well, I'm in New York City, so maybe it's skewed, but I think what, what's missing is that children need downtime and school is not downtime. So, you know, imagine coming home from work. I tell parents after at 6 p.m. and then you have like two more hours of work plus all the chores, like actual work. And then you have somebody telling your your boss, calling you and saying, did you do the work? You know, <laughs> it's it would be just be horrible. And that's what children experience. I just think kids need a lot of downtime. And downtime means just rolling around, literally, to decompress, but also to be creative and think about, oh, that would be cool to do that, you know, and pursue their interests. You have to kind of do nothing to find something. Well, and what's coming up for me, George? Do nothing to find something. I just want to capture that quote. Yeah. But what's coming up for me is a lot of parents even have this vision of what downtime is supposed to look like, right? It's just sort of the kid wants to do this, but mom's like, no, this is the way we relax. We relax by going for a walk or we relax by going, you know, it's just sort of, we're almost even controlling what relaxation looks like. Yeah. So that's one thing like downtime. And then it depends on the developmental age, but like peers are so important, you know, friendships, everything revolves around friendships starting in, you know, eighth, seventh grade, sixth grade, and how important friends are. And that's like, well, you can't play video games. Well, this is my entire world, you know? So basically you're saying I'm excommunicated from my friend group if I can't Mm -hmm. play the video game. So well, why is that so important you play video games? Well, you don't get it. It's all about the friends, you know, and how precarious friendships are. And, you know, on a kind of razor's edge of like, if I don't, you know, I had another client who was a high school kid and he had to stay up till 2, 2 a.m. to chat because all the other kids were chatting, you know, and if he didn't chat with them, then he feared he would be outside his friend group, but it was impacting his his life in sleep. So. I think that's a big thing. 
So what's your guidance for that kid or for that kid's parents? How do you, because this is one of the things we see is, you know, kids are not sleeping or not getting anywhere near sufficient sleep. And, and, you know, as the mom, I've raised three teenagers all the way through to young adulthood. I know that they're never going to get the amount of sleep I think they should. You think they should, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. But what's the trade-off, right? How do you handle that? This boy, the goal of the work was really to ask him if he actually wanted the friend group, you mm-hmm. know, which is a really important thing. Like, does do you enjoy the chatting? I mean, you know, there's, there's, there can be with ADHD, there was rejection sensitivity and the fear, like, I'm not going to fit in. And, and so there's a clinginess to like this group. Well, but have you even asked if you like the group? And then over time, he realized he actually didn't really like chatting with them. And so he, on his own, was able to make a decision about that. But I think as a parent, it's important to just be aware why the child is on the phone all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not like checking out CNN, like everything is about their peer group and, and, and their status in the peer group. And sometimes they have social connections with kids they've never met because of the technology, which, which on the one hand is kind of fascinating. And on the other hand, I think frightens a lot of parents. They're not really his friends. He's never met them. Yeah, that I've heard so many times. Mm -hmm. And that really is unfair. Now, of course, the parents like they sound like adults, but, you know, you need to monitor at some point what's going on there. But I I don't think a a child, many of the the children these days, they don't need to meet the 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 person on the other end of the, the game to feel like they're their friend. Right. Yeah. I think about even in today's day and age, we, you know, we're bilocating business-wise. I mean, I I can imagine there's people listening who've never seen face-to-face their colleagues and they work with them all the time. It's, we're in a very different world. And the question becomes is sort of, how does the parent help make sure the kids are safe? Because I think that's what most parents are worried about and give the kids the freedom to be who they are and to have the relationships that they want to have, whether they're online or off. Yeah. I do think uh, the key word is safe and safety, psychic safety comes from limits, you know? So we're talking about giving children freedom, but also they need limits and they need to know that they're safe and their parents are keeping them safe. So it is an interesting dance a parent has to do and like, where do I set limits? But I don't know, what do you think about that? I think that there's this dance, right? And part of this is about engaging your kid to figure out what feels like realistic limits, they're going to say no limits, but you know, if you give them a choice to say, okay, so we need to have something more than no limits. What, what might that look like? And what, yeah, if, I, what will they say? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, I think that's, if they say no limits, then you kind of, you back off and you say, well, let's pick, is it two hours a night? Is it three hours a night? What feels like a good choice? It is uh, a dance, right? It's, I mean, you know, how Runkle talks about teaching our kids to negotiate and that it's actually our job as parents to teach our kids to negotiate because if we don't, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't really want them learning it on the streets. You really want to help them learn how to negotiate responsibly, fairly, confidently, et cetera. Well, I like that idea of just asking them, particularly older kids, what they think is appropriate. And often their answer is, is, is the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, holding them to the holding them accountable to their own answer, I think, is really a whole other thing. You know, another thing. But often, what they come back with makes sense, whether they sure. stick with their own 
their own thing is another thing. But what, you know, yeah. we put a lot of emphasis on focusing on the process, right? So hold them accountable to what they committed to, not whether or not what they committed to was right. right? Yeah, and that's teaching them to negotiate. Yeah. So what else? Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Something you hope parents will take away from today? I guess you're doing a fine job, you know, like <laughs> it's, uh, I forget his name. Winnicott talked about the good enough parent mm-hmm. and this idea that, you know, I think a lot of parents feel like they're not doing enough or they're not doing, mm-hmm. it's like innate, they're not doing enough, but they, if they just did this, if their child just did this, they would succeed and they'd feel better about themselves. And I think it starts with them fighting off the pressure from social media, parenting sites and other friends who like the competition, you know, that I think parents feel, uh, are they feeding their child the right thing? I don't know. I read on the social media, I read on Instagram, am I doing the right thing by giving them McDonald's? You know, it seems a constant feeling that they're underperforming. And I think from that feeling of like, I'm not doing the right thing for my child comes these behaviors, kind of restrictions, the need for the child to master something. And so I think it all starts with that, that the parent just feels like they're doing fine and the kid's Mm going to be fine. That's what I really tell parents. Like most of most of the kids are going to be fine now. They're they're eight or 12 and they're struggling. But but I can see when they're 30, they're going to be fine. And that's what you have to hold in mind, that when your child's 30, it's going to be okay. Well, and I guarantee that the parents that are listening to this podcast are absolutely the kind of parents that are doing not probably better than fine. They're probably doing great work. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, and what's what this is coming up for me as you're saying that, George, is, you know, Diane and I have been working together since 2011. And early, early on, we started talking about what do we want for the parents in our community? And it was always calm and confidence. Yeah. We want you to feel calm and we want you to feel confident that you're doing, it's okay. You got this, you know, it's a simple, but really powerful message. I often think about this, this the famous study where they took, you know, where, like basically this idea that if you raised a child in a different home, the, the child would turn out the same. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about these studies? No, but I love it. Or, or with twins where they were separated, but they developed really similarly uh, in totally separate homes. And I think sometimes parents feel like they can really shape and influence a child it's the nature versus nurture. Nature, yeah, I was going to say but nature I, versus nurture, right? But I think a lot of it's nature. And sometimes I, I tell parent parents, your child is, you know, cooked and cooling off on the top of the stove. You don't need to do anything else. You know, like they are, they've absorbed all the love and lessons and they just need to like be on the I love that. Well, so that's a great segue into our last question for you. Um, kind of a little fun wrap. Do you have a favorite quote or motto that you'd like to share? I don't have, I mean, in this context, I just think I like this phrase, the good enough parent, because the good enough parent is more than good enough. And if we hold on to this idea that you can be good enough and that's excellent, then I think it takes some of the pressure off parents. I love that. Very much. We teach a strategy to parents called good GMO, good enough, move on. So very much in line with our thinking. I think it's time to call this conversation a wrap. George, I want to say thank you so much for joining us and engaging in this thoughtful 
and really lovely conversation. Diane, anything we need to hit in terms of logistics? I just want to wrap us with that whole, let's let our kids be. How do we focus on, focus as much energy on the goals and the objectives and the mastery as we are on letting them be kids? I love that. Amen. George, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to make that happen? Uh, Well, they can go to my website, sackcenter.com. That's S-A-C-H-S. C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Or for adults with ADHD or parents with ADHD, we have this brand new mobile app called Inflow, and you can find that at getinflow.io or just Google or search for Inflow on the uh, iPhone app store or Android app store. Take care, everybody. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.